Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Trust podcast, dedicated to those taking the challenging road to bring positive ideas to society. My name is Asim Ishak. I'm an award-winning entrepreneur and inventor. I've worked with government, corporates, billionaires, and I've led startups to raise millions to commercialize their innovations. But I have seen way too many business failures. So I created the Entrepreneur's Trust to bring reality to the startup world and help protect innovators from failure. I work with entrepreneurs, coaching them to commercialize. I'm a consultant for growth, and I deliver failure-beating seminars with universities and accelerators. This podcast is my way of sharing great lessons from experts and leaders that I respect for our successful entrepreneurial journey. So sit back, relax, and listen in. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Trust podcast. This is my pandemic-focused podcast, which is me focusing all of my podcasting around how entrepreneurs are dealing with the pandemic and beyond. And whilst there's a huge amount of advice and support out there for entrepreneurs, I think we we have to have that discussion as peers. So I'm delighted to have a fantastic guest, which I'll introduce really shortly. So just for the diarists out there, this is recorded as the UK is leaving the first strict phase of the lockdown and beginning to enter phase two, where we're beginning to open up the economy. It's a little bit confusing because Boris has its own unique way of opening up, which is a little bit ahead of the science sometimes, although he has been fantastically supportive of the scientists. And we are really in the hands of the scientists in the United Kingdom who are leading us through this epidemic. We're about two to three weeks behind most of continental Europe. We're about a month or six months, depending on what Trump is feeling today on tomorrow, ahead of the United States. So I'd like to welcome my guest today, he is Armadit Gill. He's a partner at Trozen Hamlins. They're an international law firm with offices in the UK, Middle East and Asia. And he is one of 150 partners in this 900 people firm. So really pleased to have him here today and share his perspective. He's an advisor to government, public bodies and uh, small and medium companies on transformation and some really interesting projects that he'll probably tell us about. He is ranked as an expert in his field by Chambers UK for his market-leading expertise by leader researcher experts, Acritas. And he is an Acritas star, so even more of a joy to have him here. He's got a, a great range of experience, which is really valuable, including digital tech, leisure, transport, health, education, outsourcing, regeneration and aviation. And most recently, Amadeep has been working on 5G technology, which has been one of the first conspiracy theories of why this pandemic happened. So you'll have to tell us about that in a moment. So we're going to talk about, actually, he's also been working around uh, autonomous vehicles and smart cities. So tech is really, really interesting right now. So the things I want to cover in this podcast is Firstly, the way the legal sector is dealing with the pandemic. And then I'd like to talk about uh, how tech is affecting and supporting the pandemic response and how leaders are being tested during this time and how they are supporting their team. And then also how entrepreneurs need to reconfigure their business for the future. So without further ado, Amadeep, thank you for being here. Delighted to have you on board. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be here. So how are you and your family coping with the pandemic? The early days were quite nice, actually. We we have had COVID in the house. My wife has been particularly ill. So there's been a challenge there of me 
kind trying to balance looking after our four children and trying to work uh, and that balance has been imperfect at best mm-hmm. um so my experiences started off quite pleasant uh, and actually once there was an illness in the house i think it was it became a, a very difficult situation to make sure that everything was kept going but now thankfully we we're getting to the tail end of that and normalities resume well lockdown normalities resuming and you know that very peak stress period is over that's really good of you to share that because i think for most of us the pandemic has been something we've been seeing on the media or around us but to have it in your own home i guess it brings it to the fore and and i guess an interesting comparison with boris johnson before he had covid he probably wasn't taking it as seriously as he should have but the moment he got it I think his his whole demeanor changed and the importance of dealing with this as a country um, brought it home. So let's kick off by looking at how, as a person in the legal sector, working from home with a family of four, presumably your children are also all off school as well. I have the same issue, all four of them are home. They are at home. Whether they're being homeschooled is another matter, I've got to be honest with you. (laughs) And I think that's true for everyone. I I don't think we can put too much pressure on ourselves to give them the rounded schooling experience that they may have had if they were back in in their educational establishments. They're getting nurtured and they're getting fed. And I think that's as much as we can all hope for. You know what? I think we've had such a nice, wonderful life relative to, you know, previous generations who have seen wars and, you know, horrible situations that this is a moment for all of us to actually share together as a moment in history that we'll look back in 10, 15, 20 years time and we'll either look at it fondly or we'll look at it in dread. But yeah, I mean, for us, my children are all at home with us. We have a son that was at university's come back. We have a daughter that's going all in September and my two younger daughters. So we're all as a family and that's really important, isn't it? How old are your children? I've got um, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old and twins who are six. So they're, they're quite young. Um, and they're actually very lucky that they've adapted very well. They, they get on as a group really, really well and keep each other entertained. And because of the closeness of their ages, it's much easier to kind of get them to do the same thing at the same time. Um, and they don't irritate each other too much. Although, you know, we do have to wade in from time to time to unlock a few horns that have been, got, been locked. But, you know, we're grateful for, for them being the, the kids that they are. Yeah, and that's the reality of it, isn't it? I mean, they got to let off their steam, so um, they do argue. And I, th- I find the youngest ones that struggle the most because they can't rationalise what's going on. Yeah. So let, let's progress in, and talk about, you know, your expertise. The legal sector, how are you finding it's coping with this pandemic? You know, I think the, the response is a spectrum. And, you know, if we start at one end, which is businesses have shut down, and they are not operating to the other end of that spectrum, which is production has accelerated. They have seen greater demand for their services, um, whether that be in the healthcare, logistics, Amazon, you know, obvious examples of acceleration and relevance in, in the current climate. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a very much a broad spectrum. And, and the legal profession and my firm in, uh, in particular, because that's what I, I know, for us as a professional services provider, it's been very easy to move to remote working. And the vast majority of our lawyers could do that quite easily and more equipped to do that. And so that the transition to this new style of working is not uncommon to us. We had policies in, uh, at work at home and you know, pretty much everyone in the business was permitted to do so. 
in terms of the actual levels of activity, they vary. We're, we're a broad international practice. You've seen greater levels of activity, particularly in terms of people seeking support on the loans that are available, employment support, um, understanding what furlough means and the transactional nature of that, looking after their staff, health and safety issues. You know, there are disputes that are emerging. You know, we've seen kind of continual activity in other areas. Um, some reduction around transactional services uh, people are waiting to see. And, you know, we've seen cycles like that around Brexit and, you know, general elections, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's not unheard of for us. But as a business, it was quite easy for us to pivot into a, a virtual business or a remote business. Um, and on that spectrum, we're probably, you know, in the middle or uh, are experiencing definitely aspects of higher activity and lower activity, depending on which sector you're looking at. So do you think that, I mean, I work with lawyers a lot um, through my business activities. It's, we're able to work remotely, but we do like to meet together so we can see each other's eyeballs. Do you think this pandemic has pushed the legal profession to become an industry that will remain comfortable working remotely? And do you think lawyers will encourage more virtual meetings, even though they won't have to, hopefully in a year's time? You know, it's actually there's a, a much broader sociological issue that there actually, rather than just what we would want as lawyers, I think, you know, society's response is going to change. And I think in the short term, the use of technology, the use of virtual meetings will be something that will be a constant. However, I also accept that we're social creatures. We yearn human interaction. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, I know that there's a big desire for me to see my team, um, me to interact with them. And, you know, there's a general consensus that that's going to have to wait. So, yes, I think people will be far more sensible about coordinating meetings. I think when we have a vaccine, when we can go back to business as usual, so to speak, I think there will be a decline in meetings and perhaps more sensible conversations about uh, the need for people to be there in reality. But I do think we'll go back to that social interaction because it's fundamental in terms of creating rapport, in terms of creating relationships. But I don't think meetings will automatically be the solution to communicating and getting things done, or at least face-to-face meetings. I think there'll be a much more of a, a myriad of options available going forward. But virtual meetings very much, and virtual communication, very much going to be the norm foreseeable future, I, w- I would expect in it, you know, a year to 18 months at least. One of the interesting things you mentioned was there are disputes that have been created by this pandemic. I'm not going to ask you about even try and ask you about who and what and why but just in general I mean what kind of issues you know what are the frictions that are being created for businesses right now that you're seeing that are leading to a new wave of disputes for businesses I think it it very much depends on the sector that you're in and, and the activity that you're doing so a very kind of broad church response would be you know, if you've entered into a commitment that you can then no longer satisfy, whether that be the provision of services, whether that be the provision of product, um, in a timeline that was agreed to in a contractual arrangement that had been signed by both parties, then there is automatically a dispute situation there. And, you know, it's whether you can um, come to a pragmatic solution, which many people are, um, about what is now the art of the possible. But it's essentially when, you know, you have committed to do something and you can no longer do it because either your staff aren't there, you've closed your factory down, you know, there's uh, problems with your supply chain and you can't get access to goods or materials. Um, You know, there's a whole myriad of issues that could impact on your ability to deliver. 
Are you finding that businesses are being understanding towards each other or are they being quite strict in enforcing contracts? I think this is a collective experience. I can't think of any business, whether you're a one-man band who's consulting to, you know, some of the FTSE 100 companies that, you know, I do work for. I think everyone has been affected in some way, shape or form. And because it's a collective experience, so, you know, it, it doesn't matter where your supply chain is, even if it's a global supply chain, that's somewhere along the line, you know, you will be impacted directly or all the people that you work with will be impacted directly. So I, I think actually I'm seeing an unprecedented level of corporate compassion mm-hmm. in most quarters. I don't think that's universal, but in most quarters, I think there is an understanding. Well, that's a nice term to hear that people are being caring towards each other. What what happened? What would you suggest for a business that has already got an issue with the company and that company is now also struggling because of the lockdown? Should the complainant, as it were, pursue a company right now or should they kind of hold back and you know, give them space and time to get through this? I think practical, honest conversations are absolutely priority in the first instance. You know, there's no need to accelerate um, a set of circumstances that are difficult for all parties and necessarily get contractual illegal, says the lawyer. Um, I'm a firm believer in being pragmatic, in having honest conversations and seeking a resolution that is satisfactory. And, you know, it's not going to be the outcome that necessarily everybody wants, Mm -hmm. but it's one that everybody needs to be able to live with in the short term. And, you know, one has to accept that you're not going to necessarily get everything that you thought you were going to get. But is that necessary cause to to become contentious? I, I don't think it is. And that's why it's important to be pragmatic and have those honest conversations. Yeah, that's really, really good advice for those entrepreneurs that, you know, entrepreneurs are people that push the boat and they are definitely sometimes touching the edge in the relationships they work with. So you have a great deal of experience in the tech sector. What I really liked about your expertise is you've been involved with lots of interesting projects. And I wonder what your thoughts on and how the tech sector is actually supporting the pandemic firstly. I think we've seen a a massive reliance on technology. Um, You know, we're talking on video conferencing whilst we're doing this podcast. And I think we are, it's inevitable there will be a continued reliance on technology. And I I think for me, is technology the saviour? I think indeed it is. And in some quarters, actually, you know, we're going to see masses of acceleration. And, you know, some of the sectors that I work in are experiencing a level of acceleration in their activity that was unfathomable, you know, at the beginning of this year. I think things like online shopping and the use of e-commerce has grown exponentially and will continue to do so. Um, But I think there's going to be big lifestyle changes that technology will have an impact on. I think we're increasingly going to become a moneyless society. We're all going to be electronic in their transactions, whether that to avoid exchanging cash. Cash is kind of becoming more and more uh, redundant. And I think that is increasing. I think things like robotics and drones, their their application will, will become far more relevant in terms of removing the, um, the human contact from delivery chains and supply chain. You talked about the accelerated societal changes. If you look at where we are now, we are buying online. We are at home a lot more. The high street is pause, it's asleep. The pandemic carries on the way that scientists predict. We are not going to be in the high street for quite a while in the way that we were. The shops are not going to have allowed to have the numbers of people that they were allowed to have before. So 
the retail experience is no longer going to be as pleasurable as we, we said. My, my wife is talking to me about her desire for retail and she said, I just don't enjoy shopping anymore. I wonder if this pandemic has, has hastened our move to being tech-centric a nation, whereas, you know, we were resisting this onslaught of technology. What is society going to look like if this carries on longer and also that you know, being e-commerce consumers is a lot more enjoyable than going into retail with half, well, a third full shops and a quarter full shopping centres. A lot of the things that we are now experiencing are mere accelerations of societal trends that have already been in existence. And yeah, I, I, you know, I can't think of much that is absolutely new and foot as a consequence of the pandemic. Will it lead to long-term societal shifts? Absolutely. But with all things, when it's imposed on somebody, it can become a bind. And actually, when it becomes a freedom of choice, then I do think perhaps people will go back to that retail experience and want to experience that of going out in shops and seeing things. So I don't think it's necessarily the end and tech is the evolutionary um, solution. I don't think it is, at least at this moment in time. I do think that there will be a change in our roles as consumers. But I always think there's going to be a mix of both. You know, a lot of this tech use um, traditionally has been based on demographics, on age groups and financial brackets that you live in. Uh, And I think that will continue to be the case. It's going to be really interesting when restrictions do come down because At the moment, we are using certain technologies because there is no alternative. When we have an alternative, I do wonder whether that that sustained level of growth and use will actually be the thing that will follow through. And I don't think it will. I think we want a bit of both. I do think we want a bit of both. I mean, it's a real pleasure to just go out shopping and be free. And then you suddenly meet somebody that you haven't seen for a while, your favourite store, and you, you catch up with them. And that's just not happening now. But um, we are all adopting these technologies and we're all getting used to it, them, far more than we expected that. And I think technology is impacting on so many aspects of our lifestyle. So we talked about the consumer aspects of the individuals that we are in terms of, you know, our consumption of entertainment, the growth of various entertainment platforms like Netflix and Disney, uh, etc. That's been exponential during the pandemic. Uh, The use of gaming and online gaming and esports, the growth that we've seen in that. The technology is applicable to so many of the ways that we live our life. It's really interesting to read that there's lots of tech companies that are now being openly welcomed into the NHS, which is being more flexible about its procurement rules and the acquisition of technology. Then there's lots of opportunities out there. And I think technology is pervasive in so many aspects of our lives, the way we live, the way that we work, and the way that we play. I do think that you know it's got a solution for everything. And whether that, that becomes the, the, the solution of choice for everyone in every set of circumstances that's a different matter but it's, it's great to have that plethora of choice you're right and choice is fantastic i mean if we just imagine a moment where we didn't have the technology we didn't have the internet all we had was telephone lines and maybe a few tv channels this would be a really really difficult time for most people because we're able to remain socially connected somehow because of our phones and all the platforms that are available to us. But, you know, there's talk about some companies who have vast office spaces no longer needing them because they're going to remain more flexible in the way they work and they will encourage more people to work 
Whereas some companies have the flexibility, like the company you're in and, and the companies I've worked in, for people to work out. They really encourage people to come in. You know, it was a kind of unwritten rule that, that you came in. Whereas now, if people are productive working from home, are we going to be turning more of our offices into something else, like residential accommodations? I dare not say student flats because education is something we're not talking about here. I, I think, you know, it's interesting. Businesses are coming out like Twitter saying that their, their, their staff can work from home forever. To build a team and team ethos, I think it helps to have face-to-face. That doesn't necessarily need to be on a daily basis in a, an office setting. There are you know, businesses out there that work entirely remotely, don't have offices, and then get together a set events mm-hmm. and use the money that they would have used in rent in another way. I, I just think as a society, we have certain expectations that are ingrained, and we also probably forget quite quickly. So, you know, whether it's the death of anything, I think it's too premature to actually say that. I don't think we can make predictions, but we can't foresee the future in any way, shape or form. Um, I think office buildings will not be at capacity that they were before the pandemic because people will be staying at home unless they you know, definitely can't. And offices very, by their very nature are full of you know, service providers that can work remotely quite easily at that. But will we see um, the end of rental and office spaces in their entirety? I don't think that's the case at all because I think you know, cultures and teams perhaps need certain settings in which to operate depending on which sector you work in. But lots of the entrepreneurs listening may not need that space. We may be more reticent to do so. But one of the on that journey of from the startup up to a, a successful company, I've worked with lots of entrepreneurs that, you know, really keen to get some office space because it gives them an anchor, it gives them a place and it gives them uh, a sense of identity. And, you know, will that now be omitted from the, the corporate journey? I don't think so. We touched on the the idea of teams. And, and I, I want to talk to you as somebody who runs a team of people. How are you managing the team during this time to remain connected socially and professionally? I think it's very important now to be human. Um, I think it's very important now to be honest. And I think it's very important to share. Um, in an appropriate way. So I think from my management of the team, it's been about having very honest conversations about where people are at. And I think it's been a cycle. I think initially it was actually this just an elongated period of working from home. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation changed to, you know, the fatigue that was setting in, personal issues that were cropping up, you know, the people that were coping much better with it than others. But, you know, there was a mourning process that was going uh, as well in terms of missing out on the way that one, one wanted to conduct one's life. It's the absence of choice. Uh, and actually giving that a name and verbalizing it and talking about it really helped open up certain conversations that were, were necessary to make sure that it seemed were connected. We regularly speak on the phone and we regularly have virtual meetings. I much prefer the phone in certain circumstances than video conferencing because it can set, uh, in, in itself facilitate fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people listening may be accustomed to Zoom or Microsoft Teams fatigue or whatever they're using. And actually picking up the phone is just as equally important and potent. And so we have group settings, we have subgroup settings that are all virtual and video, and then we have um, telephone calls and one-to-ones. And I think for me, it's been about being honest, allowing people the space to talk about what's going on for them. I've had people that have had to cancel weddings in the team uh, and go through that trauma. I've had people like myself who've been caring for elderly people 
people or uh, have had a family member that has been sick and the strain that that has caused. You know, there's others that are homeschooling and trying to manage that and the associated stress. This has not been an easy ride for, for everyone or anyone for that matter. And avoiding toxic positivity and, you know, use this as an opportunity to grow, etc. That's just not been an option for some people because they haven't been able to do, you know, the basics. Yeah, for some people, it is an opportunity to grow. And great, that's that's uh, a wonderful place for you to be. For, for the vast majority, is balancing and keeping lots of plates up in the air in a way that they haven't before and alleviating that stress, giving them permission to say that it's not okay for them or they're struggling. And as a manager, for me to be really open to all of that um, and allow it um, without suffocating conversation or, or requesting people to suffocate their emotions in order to be a corporate version of themselves that I think is what they want to or need to present. I'm really lucky to work with a group of people where we've always had very honest conversations and, you know, feelings are not something that can be avoided. It's really interesting that you've kind of run through the whole gamut of human experience that we're going through and that toxic positivity that stood out for me. Um, you're right about this idea of toxic positivity. We will get through this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And we need to hear that because those are the good vibrations that kind of get us through this. But the, the honesty is really important. Awesome. Can I just say on that point, actually, um, I think positivity is fundamentally important, but there is a balance. So what I mean by toxic positivity is the focus on one particular emotion or, or, or emotional vibration is totally wrong, mm. you know, because we are human beings and we experience a host of emotional responses and it's giving space for all of them. And for me, as a leader, as a manager, to remain positive and remain constructive and give us a direction of travel is absolutely fundamental, but I don't think it should be at the expense of anything else, everything else. I do agree with you. And I think if you just remain totally positive, that doesn't allow people to share the issues they're going through. And you need to have that. Yeah. You need to have that space to say, yeah, I am trying my best, but here are my challenges. And if you can't help somebody deal with the difficult times, I, as a coach to entrepreneurs, Nobody hires me as a coach to support them because they're doing fine, because everything's yeah. wonderful. You know, they don't need coaches for that. They need people like us and, and you yourself, because we are going through difficult times in our business life. And that affects our personal life as well. And we need experts and professionals like you and coaches like me, because we need somebody to help us through those difficult moments to give us a sense of balance and sanity. And I think we are counsellors, aren't we? We are. It, it's, it's really interesting that during this period, as a leader, you are probably seeing more of the person whole life than you would normally do so, because normally there's a separation between work and personal life, whereas now the lines are so blurred. Working at home, the kids are at home, or even if they don't have children, you know, they can't see their loved ones, they can't go out and connect, that we are becoming... I think we're having more of a balanced conversation with people. We're getting, are we getting to know the people we work with much more? I, I would like to say that I know my team well, but actually there's a lot more coming up for people at this moment in time. There's a lot of um, emotional experiences people are having. And I'm communicating with people, you know, albeit virtually in their home setting. Mm -hmm. You know, there's absolutely, you know, barriers are already down at that moment in time. I do think we're, we're seeing people in a different way. And as a, as a manager, you, you have to be acutely aware of that. Today, I've had 
you know, before I jumped on uh, to this session with you, I've had a, a conversation with one of my team about what that person is feeling about an illness in their family and the impact that that's having on them mm-hmm. and how they're managing themselves. And, you know, I made some, you know, pointed recommendations about, you know, the things that they should do um, if they wanted to, uh, and perhaps look at things like neuro-linguistic programming or, you know, um, online courses that would help them have better understand their situation and their context. And I think we are definitely, as leaders now, needing to be more human, as I said earlier, and, you know, being far more compassionate. I think the, the time of a management style that was quite austere is dead in the water. I think people want something different. People need something different. And in this set of circumstances, um, it becomes an absolute prerequisite as to whether you will come out of it with a team intact. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? You know, because hopefully we are going to come out of this. We are going to meet in reality. And this is a time where leaders are being tested as well. And what comes out of it is actually a stronger, better connected team. Or, you know, the flip side of that, Armadeep, is that people will use this time to make decisions about their future and whether they want to engage in this, the environments they're in now or they decide to go elsewhere. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think, you know, this for every single person is a personal experience. And if you feel that you are undervalued, you are not heard, you are not being listened to, then you are going to question whether that is the right environment for you. If you are being supported, if you're being nurtured, if you're given the opportunity to have your say, of course, it will engender a sense of loyalty and commitment to teams and to businesses. And yeah, for a lot lot of people, perhaps not immediately, but what is happening now and the way that they are being able to feel is going to be fundamental. I look, you know, that people forget what you say, people forget what you do, but they always remember how you made them feel far more important now than ever. One of my favourite quotes, actually, and I probably misquoted it, but hey, the gist is there. I get the gist. And yeah, it really resonates with me because that's all we take with us, isn't it? You know, we can be so much more productive because we're at home. We don't have all those interruptions. But do I feel engaged by the people I'm working with? Do I feel connected? Do I want to support them? It's really interesting. You know what? The fact that we're having this conversation is really interesting. But I would love to have this conversation with somebody the opposite of you because I would love to know What's somebody who doesn't really care about the people, doesn't really give two hoots about how they're dealing with the challenges, how he's only or she's only concerned about his or her target. That would be a fascinating conversation because how they're going to come out of this is going to be really interesting. You sound clear to me that you are an engaged, connected human being. That's very kind. Thank you. You're very welcome. And and I hope it's true as well. So I think... This has come easier for you because you are already, you know, a much more rounded human being and willing to be, allow your roundedness, your, the whole of you to come into the job of work. Whereas for a lot of people, I mean, let's face it, you know, in the kind of Anglo-Saxon culture that we're in, we don't normally allow our whole self to come to work. And actually that goes to your point earlier, doesn't it? We're seeing the whole of the people that we work with in a much more meaningful way than we ever were before. You have to engage with that. 
And not only with the teams that you manage, with my clients, you know, I have to have very honest conversations about what they're feeling, what they're doing. The ones that are experiencing a very difficult set of circumstances that are very challenging, who are questioning their futures, you know, need a level of support that that goes beyond just me looking at their contracts, me giving them advice about what the future will hold. You know, it's much more about being understanding. It's much more about being compassionate. Um, not worried about, you know, the, the transactional nature of our relationship, but investing in the relationship. And that is fundamental, not only with the people you manage, but the people that you engage with universally, whether they be clients, potential clients, targets. You know, I think we're, we're changing our interaction and our level of conversation. And some people, you know, may not find that comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you know very quickly, you know, how are you doing? Oh, fine. Great. Let's get on with business and that's totally okay as well you know there is no judgment and there shouldn't be any judgment but there's a much greater opening for dynamic conversations i'm finding yeah i think you're right i think people want to have that they want to have that time where they can actually be a sociable person and then get on with work i mean i'm finding it's a time when you know i lost all of my work through covid everything that i had booked all disappeared which is really interesting, but, you know, I'm interestingly quite busy now. I'm using the time to build relationships and Mm. connections and and give value to the people I can support because my view is that this is a time that we are being tested and if we pass the test, that passes that we have grown as a person and grown our connections and the relationships that we have with the people that we care and we want to work with so that you know, we are there at the top of the list when it's time to actually engage and and contract and find people to work with. There's a shirt manufacturer that I always talk about and all they want to do is sell me products. They want to sell me product at a discount all the time. They are almost 30 emails that I've got. Three have been acknowledging the fact that we're in a global pandemic. As a human being, I cannot buy all these clothes and do anything useful with them. Whereas those organizations that are actually willing to acknowledge that it's a difficult time are ones that I, I, I want to read. You know, I want to go on the webinars. I want to listen to them. I want to, you know, connect with those groups because they're listening to what's going on around me and around the world. And I think that's really important. So how will you remember this time when you look back in, let's say, let's be optimistic. In 12 months time, we look back in May 2021 how will you look back at this time as a professional as you know a team leader and as a uh, legal counselor to your clients i would hope that it is when i reflect it's a deepening in my relationship with my team a deepening in my relationship with my clients and actually a deepening in my relationship with self um, a better understanding of who, you know, how I respond to situations and what I am capable of doing. And, you know, we're all being tested. That depth, that level of connection, I think is fundamental. And, you know, I hope um, that when I reflect on this, I, I will have enhanced those relationships in a, in a positive way. All of them, personal, professional, you know, it's a deepening, you know, whether I, I know my children in a different way, whether I know my partner in a different way, you know, it, there's a possibility for us all to, to reflect on all of those things. And I hope when I look back on this period, which has been with its challenges, that has been with its 
trauma that has been with its difficulty and much less for me than it has been for others. So, you know, degree of uh, gratitude for that. But I do hope that there's a growth for me. Mm-hmm. There's a growth for me as a, a lawyer. There's a growth for me as a, a husband, as a son, as a father. Um, there's a growth for me as, you know, a leader and um, somebody that people turn to for advice and support. I would hope that whether that is a, is the case, it's too soon, it's too early. We're in the eye of the storm, and I will let others judge that in in part as well. Yeah, I think time is going to be a great judge, uh, and it's everybody around you's opinion that will say whether you are successful. But I think it's the desire to have grown is really important. I have seen some people I know struggle and struggle to figure out their place in time and space and be really cautious about the challenges and the opportunities that are. For me, I just have to see that the opportunities that are there in front of me and I, I have to try and take some of those opportunities and, you know, where they don't resonate with me and they don't connect with my values, I am saying no. That's not for me. I can't add any value and I'm not the one and I'm much more willing to say no now because I don't want to be not create value for people the ones I do work with I want to support properly and wholly whereas the ones where I may have been able to make work I really thinking you know what I don't really want to do that because I wouldn't enjoy that and they wouldn't get the best of me if we think about an entrepreneur with a great idea or a startup that's progressing their business or a scale-up business whose whole future was based upon you know a growing economy an increasing demand, consolidation of two markets or changing disintermediation of an existing industry. This has come as a real shock for them because nobody predicted a pandemic. Whereas if, if we knew it was going to happen and if we listened to Bill Gates 2015, there would have been loads of tech industry companies and organisations. But how do you think entrepreneurs are actually dealing with the challenges and the opportunities that the pandemic has created? I don't like making really glib statements like there, there's uh, you know an opportunity in everything, but there is. Um, you know, when we talk, if we have gone through periods of sustained economic growth and economic certainty, and actually it's been quite unique in some ways that we've experienced it for such a long duration of time. But there is still growth, you know, in certain sectors. What's the ones that we spoke about or, or kind of mentioned? You know, robotics, drones, telehealth, um, distance learning, 3D printing, gaming, online shopping, the kind of stuff that we talk about. There are still opportunities there. Uh, and I think, you know, there is, you know, desire for those to be explored further. But, you know, we are, we still will consume. We will still buy, perhaps not at the rate that we did before. And that's no bad thing. But, you know, there will be greater challenges. There is, you know, a, a conscious opening that is now occurring. People will start thinking about the environment. There's people, there'll be stats that will come out about the impact, the positive impact on, on the lack of, you know, using um cars etc or shifting towards you know different types of technological solutions whether electric cars or autonomous vehicles etc i think there will be you know a change in the way that the economy now pivots as a consequence of this pandemic and there are an infinite number of opportunities there and the thing about entrepreneurs is you know there are 
entrepreneurs that I'm working with who do feel that their businesses have now come to an end as a consequence of COVID, Mm -hmm. which is a real shame. And, you know, it's been really difficult to see that kind of cycle of death of a dream, really. But a lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with are are already thinking about what's next. You know, they've got a unique mindset in certain ways and failure isn't something that is the totality of their experience. Again, it's an opportunity to learn and it's an opportunity to grow, notwithstanding the pain that some have had to endure about watching a a certain dream, a certain opportunity come to an end. But there's always an expectation that that would be. Now, it does depend on the, the ability to bounce back from that does really depend on which point of the life cycle they were in of that business. Um, and, you know, the more you are invested um, in every sense of the word, the harder it is to let go. But, you know, I am fortunate enough to work with very strong men and women who see this as the ability to become a different version of themselves. And they are as difficult as that may be in the short term. You covered a lot of um, ground with your answer. And I think it's true. There, there are lots of different answers in how entrepreneurs deal with this. For me, entrepreneurialism is a craft. And if they are good at their craft, whether the vehicle that they were using to progress their dreams is the right one or not, they are going to become better craftspeople and better entrepreneurs because of this time. You know, you can't hold a good entrepreneur back from an opportunity. And part of that is say, this one isn't going to work for the future, you know. And I sincerely hope that entrepreneurs that are going through difficult times right now see their their business, and, and I have this interesting analogy, that they see it as like a, a sandwich where, you know, where they are in front of a sandwich counter and they are in control of all the ingredients and they can reconfigure those ingredients to make a different sandwich rather than seeing it as a solid block of something that can't be taken apart and reconfigured. So they have to be those artisan chefs right now where they can cook up something else with the ingredients that they have got and for me you know having gone through many many crises at this time it's always possible to salvage something in any business and take it forward because you just have to think about you know where the assets that you have could be better utilized rather than seeing it as as a whole so as we kind of come to the end of this conversation We've covered an awful lot and, and it's been interesting to get your philosophical approach, your human approach and your legal approach to this pandemic. If there are three things that you could share with an entrepreneur going through a difficult time right now, going through a challenge where their business is being tested, I'd like the legal, I'd like the human and I'd like the, uh, the kind of philosophical uh, perspective. <laughs> what piece of advice would you give them? So from a legal perspective, look at um, the contractual arrangements that you are in. Look at what relief is available um, or obligations that you are able to rely on to alleviate your immediate concerns and have a a level of due diligence and understanding about what you can do within that contractual framework. And remember, a contract is only a framework. Ultimately, if a relationship exists, you can operate outside of it and have a very pragmatic and honest solution if the other party is open to that. So whilst um, there is a a legal response and then there is a legal uh, avenue, there is also a commercial avenue to pursue and each of them have to be explored in tandem if you are experiencing a difficult point uh, in terms of a a customer or business-to-business relationship. If you are having difficulties with employees, you are having emotional problems about the, the kind of potential of letting people go, Again, absolute honesty and transparency is fundamental 
people in those conversations um, and dealing with people with integrity. I think, you know, they're the two common scenarios in which we're coming across in businesses, which is, you know, we're struggling, we're having relationship problems with suppliers or um, consumers or customers. What do we do? Uh, and, you know, again, uh, it's all about transparency and dealing with integrity and then the internal kind of governance issues that are cropping up. Um, the legal framework is a framework in which you can operate in. As long as you record and agree in writing the solutions that are being agreed, the, the kind of legal response to that. Um, in terms of the human response, we are all experiencing a level of anxiety and change and stress. There's very few people who aren't. And actually, it's to accept that and allow it. You know, the more that we pretend that it's not happening, the bigger it becomes as an issue. And I think um, to have open and honest conversations about what, what is experiencing is absolutely fundamental. And, you know, it's, it may be through peer-to-peer networking. It may be through working with coaches. It may be from actually just journaling. I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling. I journal every morning and there's lots of different ways of journaling. But to, to express the internalized emotion, I think is absolutely fundamental. And from a philosophical perspective, I think this is a, an opportunity for deep growth. Uh, personal, professional, uh, spiritual, mental, whatever growth that you choose to undertake. Um, and you may not appreciate it and it may not be tangible immediately, but there, there's definitely the opportunity to, for growth. And not all of that will be pain-free. And I think one has to accept that sometimes uh, one has to experience the difficulty of situations in order to become a better version of oneself. And, you know, as long as you can exercise personal compassion, I think that will be an absolutely fundamental of getting through this uh, and being better for it. And even if you're not better for it, that's still okay. You know, we, we live in a, a world of comparison and judgment. Uh, I would recommend we avoid all of that at a personal level and a societal level. Amadi, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your wide perspective as a lawyer, as a leader, and as a person, a family member. Uh, as a human being, uh, thank you very much. It's really humbling to hear somebody, you know, in a, such a responsible role to just be open and, and authentic about how you're dealing with it yourself and, you know, the, the insights you provide. I appreciate that. And I wish you and your family every success, healthy success, getting through this pandemic. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure a really broad conversation and you know one that i thoroughly enjoyed so thank you very much for giving me the opportunity and the same to you i wish you and your family uh, the very best in health thank you i hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as i did thank you for sharing your time with us please let me know what you think through the feedback options if you have any questions please do get in touch until next time this is asim ishak from the entrepreneurs trust podcast goodbye take care and stay really really well 